0: In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints, there are two religious postures, only two. Two ways that a person would stand before God and his neighbor. And they're in our gospel text, both of them. Two men go to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee. He walks to the front. He sits, stands, in fact, by himself. He prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And we might look at this guy as he stands up in front of us and as he he, he puts his nose to the sky and looks down on this tax collector and on everyone else around him. We might jeer at this man, but this, dear saints, is you. It is your sinful flesh. It's what the natural man does. He stands in front. He, he justifies himself. He declares himself to be righteous. You declare yourself to be righteous. And if we have the slightest ability to recognize the language of our own sinful flesh and to recognize the language of the world out there and to recognize the way that the devil talks to us, we will recognize immediately this kind of speech. Now, I'll grant to you that there are different kinds of ways that we justify ourselves. And in fact, we'll run through a few of them to see if we can find ourselves. But I have to warn you that as we look at the different ways that our sinful flesh wants to justify itself, you're going to have an easier time seeing it in somebody else than in yourself. I'll describe one way to you and you'll say, oh, yeah, I know someone just like that. And that's missing the point. I'm a good person. That's the first way. And I think probably the most common form of self-justification. You go up to the person in the street and you ask them if they're a good person and they say, sure, I'm a good person. Now, we think we know better than that, right? I mean, we come into this room Sunday after Sunday and we say, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. In other words, we say that we're not good people. We learn it in catechism. We teach it to the children. We read it in the scriptures. In fact, here's here's what St. Paul says, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. It's almost as if Paul can see the objection coming. No one does good. Well, doesn't one person do good, Paul? No, not one, not even one. There's no one good. And this includes you. It includes me. It includes us. We're all sinners. We know that we've broken God's law. But what does our sinful flesh do? It gets defensive about it. It doesn't want to admit it. So think, now, now tell me if I'm right about this or not. Uh, you can tell me after the service if you think I've, I've got it pinned. If you're just walking down the street, minding your own business, you know, going to get an ice cream cone or something, and someone jumps out of the bushes with a video camera and they ask you, uh, hey, are you a good person? What do you say? Uh, yeah, sure. Quit messing with me. Or you can try this experiment and tell me how this goes. Wake up your spouse in the middle of the night. Startle them awake three in the morning and say, hey, honey, are you a good person? (laughs) And see what the answer is. "Uh, You're not. (laughs) I think our answer is just kind of natural. Of course, go back to bed. Of course, I'm a good person. Liar. You are not. But what's the point? Your sinful flesh, your sinful flesh, is in the business of self-justification. Of asserting your own innate goodness. And the devil is there egging this on in your flesh. Why? The reason is because if you are basically good, then you basically don't need Jesus. So the neutral position of our sinful flesh, the neutral position of us sinners, is to say this. I'm a good person. And you can take a few steps in either direction, and you can see a little bit different characteristic. You can get a little bit more extreme with that. You can go more, you can go beyond saying, I'm a good person, and you can go and say, I'm a holy person. That's where the Pharisee in the text is. That's where he's coming from. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything that I get. This Pharisee had taken God's law and he had perverted it to make it doable. Instead of, showing, instead of showing this man's sin, this Pharisee and really all of the Pharisees had used the law to show their righteousness and other people's sins. This is not a right use of the law. It's a fantastic misuse of the law. Instead of working like a mirror to show our sins, this Pharisee used the law like a pedestal to exalt himself, to show his own righteousness, and to lift himself up above everyone else. When you then hear the Lord's word, his law, this is what your sinful flesh will do with it. It will say, oh, I've, I've kept that commandment. I've done it, or I've tried to do it, at least. But you haven't. You haven't even tried. Your sinful flesh cannot admit its real character. If the law shows our sin, then we'd better change the law. That's what the Pharisees did. You've heard then how the Pharisees had all these laws, right? 618 different laws, and we looked at that, and we think to ourselves, "That's incredible! Look how difficult they made everything." But the Pharisees are not trying to make the law more difficult; they're trying to make the law more doable. You can only take 150 steps on the Sabbath. You can't spit on the dirt on the Sabbath; only on a rock. You you. You can't eat on this day. You have to give these type of spices in the temple offering. All of these things made the law measurable. It made the law doable. The Pharisees could go to bed at night and say, I've kept the law. And that is a damnable thought. The Ten Commandments are not that way. They are not doable. When you use the Ten Commandments as a checklist, it is a checklist of your own failure. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's never done, never finished, never perfected, barely even started. But the devil and our sinful flesh can't stand it, and so they soften the law and invent new laws. All that We can stand there and assert our own goodness, assert even our own holiness, so that we can justify ourselves before God and our neighbor, like the Pharisees standing in the temple praying before God you know what I'm talking about? The condemnation of the law is so severe that our sinful flesh is constantly fighting against it. We we want to change the voice of the law from condemnation to commendation, to self-justification. So we say we are holy. There is a third way that we sinners attempt to justify ourselves. If the first is saying, I'm good, and the second is saying, I'm holy, the third is saying, I'm indifferent. <laughs> I don't care. Indifference is a nasty disease. And, and it is constantly tearing at us. The devil is constantly tempting us with it. Indifferentism, we'll call it. And I'm convinced it's the biggest religion that exists in the world. I don't know how many people that I meet regularly that they say they believe in God or they believe in a higher power or even that they believe in our Lord Jesus, but really they simply don't care. They say that the Bible is true, but they don't care what it says. They say that there will be a judgment day, but it doesn't make a single bit of difference in their lives. They couldn't be bothered to come to church to listen to a sermon. They don't take any time to consider the important questions that make us human and that make our life an adventure. It's not that they disagree with the Bible or disagree with what the Lord says. They're simply annoyed by it. They just don't care. And this is a particularly nasty form of self-justification it is saying that i am above judgment that i stand above critique that my standard is myself that i am my own law i'm good or i'm holy or i don't care this is the sin of our, this is the creed of our sinful flesh and you'll notice that it's a creed that doesn't include jesus And this is, remember I told you there was two religious postures? This is the first. The posture of self-justification. The posture of standing on your own goodness. Trying to stand before God on your own two feet. But there is a second, and that's good. Because the end of this first posture of standing on your own two feet is death. And it is eternal death. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, you simply cannot justify yourself. But there's a second posture. We find it also in the text. These words of Jesus. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here is humility. Here is hearing the true voice of the law that we are sinners and acknowledging it. Here is coming to the end of yourself, to the end of your own good works. Here is every self-justifying mouth stopped and the verdict of the law spoken, sinner. Here is contrition, sorrow over sin. And here is faith, trusting in God's mercy and his mercy alone for forgiveness and salvation. It's here, dear saints that salvation is found. Now, make no mistake, this appeal of this man in the temple is not simply to some sort of abstract mercy, to to some sort of uh, bodiless, kind God or something. The tax collector in the temple is praying for something very specific. You remember how the temple was? There was the outer courts and then the temple building itself, the holy place, and then in the middle the small, square, dark room, the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was an ark there, the Ark of the Covenant, a box that was, what, 45 inches by 25 inches like this, gold-plated, and inside of it, the pot of manna, the rod of Aaron that budded, and then, most importantly, the Ten Commandments. And over the ark, there was this seat made of solid gold, Uh, It had cherubim on both sides, angels, statues, and they would face together over the ark and their wings stretched out over it. And on this ark, it says in Exodus 25, God would meet with the people and talk to them. It was on this this mercy seat, this lid of the ark of the covenant, that the priest would come once a year with uh, with the blood of the bull sacrificed for his own sin and then again for the blood of the bull sacrificed for the sin of the people on the Day of Atonement. That ark, I mean that mercy seat, is called in Greek the hilasterion. That's just the name of it, the hilasterion. And that's precisely what this tax collector prays when he goes into the temple. Lord, hilesthetai me, a sinner. Lord, let the blood of another cover my sin, Lord, accept another sacrifice on my behalf. For you see how it was. There in the ark was the Ten Commandments, standing right before God, testifying against you, testifying of your sin, testifying of your guilt, and giving God reason to pour out His wrath upon you. But once a year, the blood of the sacrifice would cover over those commandments, would stand between God and the commandments of the law, would stand between you and God's wrath. And that's what this man pleaded. He pleaded for mercy because he was pleading for blood. And the result? Jesus says, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, this one who pleaded God's kindness based on the blood of the sacrifice, this one went down to his house justified, declared righteous, named holy rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Dear saints, we have God's mercy because we have his blood, the blood of Jesus, his death on the cross, and his promise of forgiveness that he won there for you. You are justified, not by your works, but by the blood of Jesus. You are declared holy, not by yourself, but by God's own Son. His promise and His word, His blood are your cleansing and forgiveness and your freedom and your peace and your comfort both now and forever. So we stand before God on our own and the result is death. But when we are humbled before God by our sin and trust in the death of His Son, Jesus, we are declared righteous and holy and we find solace in the blood of Jesus. And this is our comfort and our peace, now and forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.